I'm Major Robinson. Leslie Messer. Mary Stranahan. Senator Dwayne Ackney. Marcy McLean in Billings, Montana. In, in Helena, Montana. Colstrip, Montana. Sydney, Montana. From Arley, Montana. And you are listening. And you are listening. And you're listening to. And you are listening to Listen First. Listen First. Listen First. You are listening to the podcast Listen First Montana. Hi, this is Chantel Schieffer, President and CEO of Leadership Montana. Views and opinions shared by guests of Listen First Montana do not reflect the opinions of all of our alumni or organization. We are a large group with lots of opinions, believe me. If you hear something that makes you uncomfortable, we invite you to listen deeply, listen hard, and listen first. Leadership is not management. Management is a skill that's taught. It's, you know, following policy, uh, applying policy consistently within the company, you know, having difficult conversations about performance. But leadership is more the quality of connection. This is Chantel Schieffer, and you're listening to Listen First Montana. Today, we are in Helena, and our guest is Lanny Hubbard. Lanny is the president and CEO of Montana State Fund, longtime Leadership Montana uh, guru, alum from our class of early class, 2006? 2007. 2007. And served on our Board of Governors for a number of years and was board chair for a very pivotal year of Leadership Montana. And recently, this past year in 2021, received the award, our biggest award, the Tom Scott Leadership Award for Excellence. So welcome, Lanny. Thank you, Chantel. It's good to be with you. It's so fun to be with you. Let's talk first about your Leadership Montana history. I gave it just a quick snapshot, but... Tell us more about why Leadership Montana has been so important to you in your life, in your career. And, and I also want to talk about the, the culture of Leadership Montana that you've created at Montana State Fund. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, maybe I should talk a little bit about kind of where I come from. Yeah. So um, I was uh, born and raised in Spokane, Washington, but have always had roots in western Montana, northwestern Montana, and knocked around the woods as a kid up there and worked with Jippo loggers and got to learn a little bit about the local culture. And I, and I realized that, you know, there are different worlds within our own world and people come from really different places. And uh, through the years, what attracted me to the spirit of leadership Montana and the vision that Tom Scott and other leaders in Montana had was, was recognizing the diversity that exists within our own state, diversity of geography, culture, and opinion and working together to find better ways to collaborate and find solutions that are really common to us all. And so that's what really drew me to the the concept and the teachings of Leadership Montana. And my experience in 2007 is certainly different than the experience of the cohorts that are going through the classes today. The training, the curriculum has evolved over time, I think, to the betterment of the education. Uh, but my experience was uh, really focused on that we're, we're trustees here. We're trustees for Montana, for the communities in which we live, for one another, for our environment, and, you know, really for the quality of life that we, we call the Montana way. Mm. 
What do you think that Montana way is, and have you seen it change over the years? Well, uh, that's a good question. I think we all define the Montana way somewhat differently, and we refer to it a lot. Even recently, during uh, the business days at the Capitol, people have referred to the Montana way. So I think it would be difficult for me to say this is exactly what it is. But for me, in my experience, it's an appreciation for the wide open spaces that we have, for the sense of community, both large and small, that we strive to create within uh, our state, um, for a, a sense of uh, independence and hope that we bring in, in our communities. To me, that's the Montana way. And I would also say it's changing. It's changing because inevitably uh, the Montana way gets traction elsewhere and people want to come and be a part of this experience. They come from the east, they come from the south, they come from the west. And they bring with them their own perspectives and values. So whatever the Montana way is, it's going to evolve, I think. Uh, Hopefully not to the point where we make the same kinds of mistakes that have been made in other places that have become popularized and the place to go. You know, I, I, th- I think about the book, uh, Kittredge's anthology, The Last Best Place, and we refer to Montana as the last best place. And Actually, I think it's the first best place. This is the kind of place where you want to raise your families, uh, your children. We've got a wonderful public education system. We've got great communities. And it's a place that people want to be. And they don't realize it oftentimes until bad things happen where they are, mm-hmm. whether it's California or New York or the, the cities uh, that are dealing with urban problems that become so overwhelming to really raise a family and a sense of safety and deep community ties. I'm not saying they don't have them. I'm just saying that I think that's an attraction for Montana, mm-hmm. why people come here. So I've been thinking about this a lot, about, about people coming to Montana and this especially in this pandemic time, this growth that we're seeing. Um, and and I, I ask myself this question often of, does Leadership Montana have a role in welcoming those strangers, inviting those strangers, as the Gracious Space curricula teaches us? I, I think that, you know, organizationally, I think that Leadership Montana does serve a role because the people that come into the program come from all types of backgrounds mm-hmm. and they come from different places. I came, I grew up in Spokane, Washington. I just said that at the opening. I wasn't born and raised here in Montana. I've been here for over 30 years now. So this is home. Uh, but th- I came from a, a different community. So I do think that Leadership Montana serves a role in helping all of us bring together and understand that we come from different perspectives in life and that we can still work together in an effective way in a civil way, uh, even with some pretty divisive issues that come up, whether it be uh, local school board policy on masking under COVID, mm-hmm. uh, that, that there's a way to resolve problems in, in a uh, more productive way than perhaps we've been modeled at the national level. What, what does that look like for you, having productive conversations with disagreement? I, I think that the, the key is uh, meaningful listening for people. And that's one of the values that I think Leadership Montana teaches very well. I've been thinking about that. And to me, I'm a musician too. Not a good one, (laughs) but I am a musician. 
And I've been a musician all my life. And to me, the kind of listening that I think that people uh, need to try to do is intentional, but also it's like learning the lyrics to a song. We all have those songs, and I know you're a lover of um, Foo Fighters. Yes, sir. And their music. <laughs> uh, but you know how you learn songs? You, you learn, oftentimes the lyrics are not particularly clear. And you, you play that record or that CD or that digital recording over and over again to get the, the first uh, uh, part of the song and then the chorus. Uh, but you're intentional and you're purposeful about learning it because it resonates with you, that there's something in it, that uh, the melody, the rhythm that, that appeals to you. And I think if we engage one another with more of a curiosity of like learning music, mm-hmm. that that's the kind of listening that brings out the best of all of us, understanding, perspective, and appreciation. I think we all have examples of songs that we've known for 30 years, and then we learn that the lyrics that we thought we were hearing and (laughs) singing are not accurate, right? That's right. And uh, especially since I've had to have hearing aids, uh, being a rock and roller from the 70s, uh, it's amazing the things I can hear with these, and it's usually not the right thing uh, that I'm hearing. Uh, yeah, it, it is. We think that we understand or hear, um, but it, until we play it over and over again, uh, we really don't get the words or all the words. And boy, isn't it something that can change the meaning incredibly, just one or two words in what someone says or what a song says. Yeah. Tell me about being a rock and roller in the 70s. Well, it was fun. Uh, I had... Do you uh, remember I, it? I, yeah, oh gosh, I remember the 70s. See, <laughs> see, I was not a child of the 60s. I was a child <laughs> of the 70s. So I do remember most of, of the 70s. Uh, th- that generation was pretty interesting. It was the... Uh, I, was, I was in the live music is best c- category when disco in the mid-70s became real popular and live, live bands were having trouble getting jobs. But uh, uh, when I was uh, with my friends, uh, my peers at the time, I, I play keyboards and we have had a rock and roll band and we'd play the sock hops at the, at the high school and we'd, we'd play in local clubs and country clubs and that sort of thing. And it was a great experience because I got to really find a way, there's a different way to connect with people. You know, musicians, and, and may, I didn't think that I would be talking about a music theme about Leadership Montana, but... The the truth of the matter is, is that uh, 90% of how we communicate is actually the nonverbal communication. Mm -hmm. And when we see a great performance or we see a great speaker, oftentimes it's what their body language is, how they lean into the conversation, how they use their hands. Communication is multifaceted. And so for me, music was the first place that I learned how to connect with total strangers, Mm -hmm. singing a song, singing it loudly. Having, uh, having an act, uh, it, was all, it was all part of, of developing that connection. And I think I've translated that into how I, I lead my company. At Montana State Fund has 300 people, 300 different people with different interests, different backgrounds. And I, I think leaders need to, to um, recognize that leadership is not management. Management is a skill that's taught. It's, you know, following policy. Uh, applying policy consistently within the company, you know, having difficult conversations about performance. But leadership is more the quality of connection, making sure that uh, when when you see somebody and make eye contact with them, that you really do connect authentically. Uh, You can't fake connection. Connection either happens or it doesn't happen. 
And I think all too often these days with social media, even Zoom during COVID, uh, while I think connection opportunity is better than just on the telephone, it's not the same as sitting in the same room like you and I are now. Mm-hmm. And, and actually having eye contact and expression with our hands and, and nodding, you don't get that quality of connection unless you're intentional about it. And I think leaders have to make it purposeful in their own organizations. It matters to say hello, how are you doing mm-hmm. to someone in your business. Hearing you say all of this r- reminds me of the first time I met you um, in your office, Montana State Fund, beautiful building, beautiful corner office, was actually my interview for Leadership Montana. Probably not the first time I met you ever, but the first time I intentionally was interacting with you. One of the best decisions I ever made, by the way, was was convincing you that this is the right job for you. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, but walking into you know that space and, and you and a handful of other people was you know, of course, very intimidating. And there isn't probably a month that has gone by in the last seven years where I haven't met someone who has said, I just met Lanny Hubbard and walking into his presence, being in his presence, I was so intimidated because he's this big, you know, he's this big Montana leader. He's like a famous Montana leader. And it's like the first 30 seconds of being in his presence, he's totally disarming. He's connected, he's generous, he's gracious, he's kind. And, and that was certainly my experience with you. And I wonder if, you've, if you know that, if you know that you know, because of your position, you are kind of elevated in this leadership role by people who revere and admire and look up to you. And then they get to meet you and you're talking about rock and roll and, you know, and making sure everyone has what they need, that they have water and snacks and just that graciousness that you exude is so amazing. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm turning red here. You, I know. You know I turn red um, <laughs> because, because I, I, I think um, we often don't, times don't see ourselves as others might see us. And uh, I just know how I feel when I'm with people. Um, to me, to me uh, I, I'm not complete unless I feel a sense of connection. And... And it, this is really difficult because much of this is just who I am mm-hmm. and how I've, I've been raised and how I live in the world. And, uh, and I don't want to confuse the, the conversation by saying, well, you can't teach leadership quality like that. I think it's one of my superpowers is my ability just to connect with people. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't always work, by the way. <laughs> I bet there's, there's lots of folks that I've come across uh, that, that I haven't connected with as completely or in such a way that you describe. Uh, because, you know, the world has, and, and I've got different points of view from, from others. And oftentimes those are pretty deeply held points of view, and they don't uh, mesh with what other people do or think. So uh, that only goes so far. The rest of it is skills that can be taught to up-and-coming leaders Mm -hmm. if they if they appreciate the fact that for example some of the most successful leaders I've met are are actually introverts they tend to be appreciate their quiet time and introverts have to make even a greater effort of being intentional about connection 
because it's not their natural place. But some of the best leaders in any organization I've ever met have, have, are self-declared and acknowledged introverts. You don't have to be gregarious to be a great leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I think it requires is uh, an understanding that uh, what's important in a leadership role and the re- leadership role, the most important thing is connection, and then it's it's curiosity. If you're not curious about learning new things about a new business or someone's story, uh, it's hard to complete the connection. So I think that's another skill we can teach is how to how to be curious. And Leadership Montana does that. At Gracious Space, the the the, uh, the curriculum talks about. Uh, remaining curious and creating those opportunities where curiosity can uh, thrive. Mm-hmm. I think it's, and also with the work that we do with Brene Brown too, I mean, curiosity is, I believe, and it, from working with her, that curiosity and courage can change the world, right? Absolutely. If we're willing to lean into it. Right. And and that requires us to to take risks with people. And we are, particularly in these times, there's a lot of fear Mm-hmm. A lot of fear that surrounds uh, just everyday life, and you there's political fear, there's environmental fear. Uh, fear is the killer of curiosity because it 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 forces us to retrench, it to be protective and defensive, and curiosity requires you to extend, to take risk with with people, to hang into a tough conversation longer maybe than you would want to, to get out of your comfort zone. Uh, and by the way, th- these, are, these are skills that happen at the micro level and the macro level. Mm-hmm. You know, how organizations put themselves out to the rest of the community is, is, a, is an important uh, and intentional thing that they must do. Montana State Fund, for example, we believe in, in uh, improving the health and economic prosperity of Montana. That's our mission and partnering with employers and employees. We've got 23,000 customers, policyholders, and then uh, at any given time about 7,000 claims of injured, injured workers that we're trying to take care of and help get back into productive work. Um, our organization has to, pres- has to send a message that we're there and care for injured workers. And it's, it's something that has to be practiced in everything we do, from the customer that calls in and needs help to the the social advertising that we do to promote workplace safety. And you've probably seen our campaigns. Mm -hmm. Safety works here. Safety lives here. And we're trying to change the culture. And culture is not easy to change. Whatever that culture is, it takes oftentimes at least a decade, sometimes a generation to change culture. And we've got to think about that too as leaders you can't just come in and in a year change the culture of an organization or a community it it takes a lot of of constant reinforcement over a long period of time you say without using the word um, empathy right we have to have empathy for our customers um what what does building empathy look like in montana state fund and in your life well uh, 
that's, that's a wonderful question. Uh, empathy is not the same as sympathy. There's a, a difference. Uh, empathy is, uh, again, it, it goes back to connection. If you don't connect at some level, a basic level with somebody, uh, where they have an interest in engaging you, you can't share empathy. They can't and you can't. E- empathy is the ability to walk in someone's shoes or see yourself walking in their shoes. Uh, one of my favorite places when I was a kid to go was up in the, in the, the Bull River Valley was the Halfway House on Bull Lake. The Halfway House is famous for the uh, summer festival, that the old, uh, Bluegrass Festival. And it's an eclectic crowd of, of people that come together in this little space in this remote part of Montana. And th- there's just this energy that, that happens over a three-day period. Um, and it, unless you're willing to go into places that you're not usually involved in, it's not my circle, uh, you can never develop empathy, in my view. You have to step out of where you are out of your place. And empathy takes that ability to step out of your own shoes and see the world from another perspective. And to me, that's the essence of empathy. And um, like, I think I have some natural abilities that way just because of how I was raised, where I was raised, and the circumstances in which I was raised. Uh, but again, I think empathy can be practiced. I think the world needs more of it right now. Oh, yes, for sure. Yeah, And, and again, this gets back to fear. Mm-hmm. If, if fear is the overwhelming uh, emotion that we have as a community, as a person, it prevents all of these things from being experienced in a meaningful way. And it, it, it denies connection. And we have to understand that, that uh, if fear is an emotion, but fear can be faced. You know, courage is not bravery without fear. Mm-hmm. It's bravery in spite of fear. Mm-hmm. And this is, again, going back to, you know, what Brene's learned, Brene Brown has learned in her research, in the thousands of thousands of stories that, that she has discovered and, and what, uh, what makes people uh, able to, to face the world in all its frightening uh, di- dimensions in a way that allows them to have a fulfilling life and a joyful life and to experience great joy. They also have to be able to face the potential of great pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's not something we're... we're uh, I, d- I don't think that's something that uh, we all have the same ability to naturally lean into. Uh, you know, when we're born, uh, uh, we were born to survive. We're, you know, li- little children... Babies are tough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were meant to survive. And something along the way, as we go through uh, life and we grow up, uh, some, of those, some of those abilities get uh, muted. And uh, I don't know what causes that other than we're social creatures and we're, we rely heavily, particularly in our developmental years, on pure opinion. That kind of sticks with us because you're, you're seen as valuable or valued based on who you hang with. And uh, for me, it was easy because I, I hung with all the, the rock and roll guys, you know, the heads and <laughs> things like that. Kid. So, you know, it was Hakuna Matata. <laughs> we, were, we were just living a free spirit, uh, you know, kind of life. 
And so I think that, that uh, we've got to get back in touch with this understanding that the more fearful we feel and acknowledge it, the more able we are to combat irrational fear or fear that uh, is, is threatening that causes us to withdraw from one another. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's exactly what I see happening in our society right now. And I know I'm not alone in that, but we're so afraid of each other. We're so afraid of, of different opinions that we just whoop, silo away and we, we miss those opportunities to connect and to learn from each other. And I think that's one of the things that I am so proud of about Leadership Montana is, is we, we take those silos away. We put you in a room with people that you, we know you're going to disagree with. Yes. And, and teach each other tools on how to, how to face those fears of the unknown. Yes. And, and I wish, I just wish we could figure out how to do that on a more global scale. Right? right, because I think that that is key to how we as a society find our ways back to each other. Because right now we're just so divided. I, I agree. And, and I, I'd say, first of all, there's w- one of the greatest human qualities I think exists is we have a thing called hope. Mm-hmm. And we should never give up on, on hope. Uh, it, it is a state of mind. It is, it is what helps us be resilient as individuals and as communities. Uh, if we become hopeless, uh, Father Spitzer for, used to be the uh, theologian and also the president of Gonzaga University. He taught a, uh, uh, a very meaningful course called the uh, Business and Ethics. And one of the concepts he uh, shared was this idea of incipient despair. You know, people can reach a point where they, you wonder why we have so much depression and anxiety in the world today. And I, we have much more of it than we've ever had before. Mm-hmm. We have much more drug abuse in society, and it's becoming increasingly difficult to manage, and we don't have the resources to manage all the demand and help people uh, get out of the cycle of incipient despair. People are giving up. They're giving up on one another. They're giving up on the future. And until we, until we reinstill this idea of hope and belief in the human spirit and our ability to connect and it'll all be okay. And I'm not being a Pollyanna. I Believe me, and being in workers' compensation <laughs> for 33 years does not make you a Pollyanna. It's, it's, it's rough and tumble. Uh, but that every day is a new day. And we have a new opportunity to rewrite our stories as individuals, as people, as communities. And as long as we hold hope close we can accomplish great things as, as a community. So I, I believe that Leadership Montana and the approach Leadership Montana has uh, is one of those rays of hope. Mm. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in tears. First, it's what, 10.30 on a Friday morning, and I'm already crying. Um, That's okay, <laughs> I am too. <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you maintain hope, and how do you encourage hope in people that you love, your, your, your family, your children, your wife, your employees? Like, what, what does that look like to you? How do you model that for them? Well, it, you know, we all, we all have these voices that are always in our heads. We're talking to ourselves continually. And I think you have to be careful of what you're talking, your conversation inside. I think we need to check ourselves, our self-talk. It's called self-talk. Mm-hmm. And self-talk, when you're feeling down or embattled or uh, uh, hopeless, 
uh, is really important. So you got to remind yourselves that, that the great creator, whoever you believe in, puts you on this planet for a purpose. And what it, and I'm not being, I don't mean that religiously, I mean it spiritually. Mm-hmm. That human beings are beautiful creatures. We're, we're the most ascensioned beings, or at least we think we are. And uh, to, to be grateful for this life. And if you take stock of the fact that I, I get to get up today and I get to hold somebody. I can pet my dog. I can hold my dog. I can love the things around me. I can appreciate the trees. I can, I can appreciate fishing. I can go out and uh, do things that other people may not have that opportunity to do what I can do. And I'm grateful for that. And that, that helps control that self-talk about, wait a second, when you start feeling down of, on the world, and when you start feeling down on yourself, time out. Mm-hmm. Take a moment. Mm-hmm. Breathe. Uh, I think we, we underappreciate the idea of meditative space <clears throat> in our society. We need to take time because right now we're, we're barraged with cell phones, social media, television. There's so much information coming at us that is jumbled. It's polar opposite. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you open up one story and you can open up another uh, story and it's the opposite point of view. Uh, we need to say time out. I'm, I'm just going to take time for myself to think, be with myself. And I think we, we need to do more of that, just creating space for, for thinking and re- centering as individuals. And, and, I, and I think this translates into how we interact with people. Mm-hmm. I know my best days start with a you know, really grounding uh, morning where I'll wake up, I'll meditate, do some yoga, do some reading, you know, just to have that space for my mind to just be super clear and super open to whatever is coming in. Um, you know, gratitude practice, taking a few minutes to just write down what I'm grateful for. How do you stay grounded? Like, how, how do you start your, do you, do you start your days that way, end your days that way? Like, how, how do you practice this on a, on a daily basis? Well, I, I've kind of, uh, I, I've got a, a routine, just like you do in the morning, but it's quiet, and it's my time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, uh, uh, I think, you know, my spouse and I, we've, we, got a, we got an arrangement where, you know, I make the coffee every morning. So think about that. Mm-hmm. Dak's bringing you coffee every morning. I've been doing it for 38 <laughs> years. <laughs> and, it, and, and it works for her, and it works for me. But those are my quiet times, and that's my time to just kind of just sit and uh, look out the window uh, think and sometimes you know turn on the morning news and just kind of get, get kind of get ready get in the headspace. Wait, hold on, time out. You turn on the news? Yeah, to I, get grounded. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it, it's by the way, it's it's probably more background noise than anything because <laughs> I don't listen to everything. Uh, but it but it is my time, yeah. and I think as long as it's your time and it it. And it serves your purpose it's it's a good thing it can't be wrong there's no one right way to prepare but i think making self-time is really important uh and then i i try to do one thing scheduling wise i don't put anything typically right in the morning i you know some people say they're morning people or they're evening people i've historically been kind of a morning person but uh i don't start meetings until usually at nine o'clock and after Mm -hmm. typically speaking because that that first hour getting ready and prepared for the work day 
it's kind of important to for table setting and you know how what what's your attitude how are you feeling you know one of the things we used to, we used to do at the board meeting mm-hmm. uh, Chantel and I don't know if you still do it with the board is mm-hmm. you check in yeah you know how do you feel today you know what are, what your, what are your emotions like and and I think those are those are purposeful tools for getting that that connection started that we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. and uh, so it anything that gets you in that headspace to face the day mm-hmm. without fear <laughs> is a good thing i love that and i didn't mean to question your news preparation as you said it's part of my day it's it every day is different if i were to like start my day with news i don't know if i'd get out of bed <laughs> <laughs> i end my day with pbs news hour every every night yeah. but yeah. yeah everyone's different yeah we all lean in differently don't we yeah yeah question before we get to the lightning round. Tell me, um, you're the most recent recipient of the Tom Scott Award for uh, Excellence in Leadership. What does that mean to you? Well, it sits in the most prominent pa- place in my home, and it's, it's uh, I felt undeserving uh, of it because I, I know what it meant when I was on the board and we were giving out, and the people that preceded me receiving the award, and they, to me, they're much bigger than I am in terms of impact, and and uh, I... I um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. That's what it means to me, mm-hmm. that, that to be recognized in uh, that kind of way by this organization, because I, I love Leadership Montana and the mission of Leadership Montana, and to receive that acknowledgement just fills my heart. Mm-hmm. And one thing I appreciate about you, of, of the many things, it is is just how humble you are. Um, just You are this like top-of-a-pillar type of leader, big leader in Montana big name in Montana and you are you are probably one of the most humble people I think I've ever met (laughs) are you trying to see how many times I'll turn red (laughs) during this interview Uh, uh, thank you for that and I I think one of the things about being grateful is just say thank you Mm -hmm. that's right we need to do more of that I I don't know how many times I give someone a compliment and they try to like unpeel the compliment and I will say just say thank you all right, lightning round. Ready? Yes. Leadership is? Well, I said I opened with it. Leadership is uh, connection, curiosity, and courage. Love it. What is something amazing that's happened to you recently? I woke up this morning on this side of the dirt. <laughs> 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 you know, the, what, what the, the, the amazing to me, it's amazing to me that uh, I've, I've decided to um, retire from my current position uh, uh, in July of this year, and I'm going to go on a new journey, and I don't know what it looks like exactly yet, but um, it's, it's exciting and amazing, and it's occurring to me right now. Yes, and... Uh, I am I am so excited for what that next journey looks like for you, and, and I have Thank some th- I have some ideas. What are you reading right now? Oh man, uh, I read I, I have multiple books going at any given time, so I'm reading uh, of course anything I can get my hands on with Brene Brown, her new book uh, that that's come out because I think that uh, you know she's a kind of like a uh, a guide. Uh, an inner inner space guide and she does a really good job at it uh, I'm reading uh, 
Simon Sinek's uh, The Infinite Game. I think everybody should read uh, Simon Sinek. Uh, first of all, the one book that I think you should start with is Start With Why. Mm -hmm. So many times people take positions, but they don't explain why they take that position. And you have to unpeel that in conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think of the more skills we had developed by starting with why do I feel this way? Why am I making this decision? And explain up front, a lot of miscommunication could be avoided. So I think uh, start with why and then the infinite game. We are trained to, in, this, in leadership, to have short-term goals, short-term impact, and there's a sense of urgency. And we, we don't look at the long game. And I'm not talking two years, like a legislative cycle. I'm talking 20 years. And the more thinking we can elevate our horizons, I think the more able we're going to be to have hope, change culture, and expect change at the right time, uh, and, and uh, you know, make organizations that are built to last. Mm, I love that. What is one of the most important things that you've taught your kids? I think to be kind to people. Uh, I, I think reinforcing kindness. They're, they're great, kind people anyway, but I don't think you can talk about it enough. Right. I agree. That was my answer, too, when I did my pod, right? Yay. I didn't listen to yours yet. Oh. So we think alike. We're minute. like the same, same wavelength. <laughs> we here. are in so many ways. Uh, what is a habit or routine that you've developed that has improved your life? Self-work inner work and that started with leadership Montana that was the, f the first time I'd actually actually I should I stand corrected when I first became CEO uh, there was a program called management action plan and it it was uh, one of the first exposures I had to kind of intentional uh, leadership but the actual turning the focus into the leadership person that I'm going to be actually came through my experience with leadership Montana being understanding my role as a trust holder and as a trustee of so much in my life, mm -hmm. not only family, but community and the state. Yeah, absolutely. If you could spend one full day doing anything, what would it be? Sailing. I knew it. <laughs> in fact, that's the first thing I'm going to do after I retire is I'm going to go to the West Coast and I'm going to uh, spend as much time to get as many certifications as I can possibly develop and I want to explore the San Juan Islands and spend days on the water and uh, the bays, the little coves, and just experiencing the different part of our world. But then you will come back to Montana? Of course. Okay, good. Absolutely. I have to, I'll come find you. Okay. <laughs> Bring you home. Deal. <laughs> Your favorite rock concert of My all time. My favorite rock concert? Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm, I'm going to have to say it was Peter Frampton Live in 1977 in Spokane. Wow. Uh, Peter Frampton. And he, he actually played with uh, uh, Gary Wright. Uh, you remember the he wrote the song Dreamweaver? Mm -hmm. You can hear it occasionally. Uh, Gary Wright was a full keyboard uh, band. Everything was done with keyboards. So synthesizers were kind of new then, and they were cutting edge. And so I, I was pretty mesmerized by that. And, uh, you know, Keith Emerson and Emerson, Lincoln Palmer were, yeah. were all famous. Does anybody remember this? I know Eric doesn't. This is not, <laughs> like, who? I do, I do. And, and, uh, but, but, you know, a classic rock uh, concert, uh, Peter Frampton, and he, he just 
you know, left music in terms of professional performing because he's got some uh, health condition that's preventing him from being on tour all the time. But uh, I saw him last or a couple October's ago in a Seattle concert, and uh, I was I was brought to tears just because of how he's been a part of my life. His music's been a part of my life, and uh, that was my my favorite concert. Mm. Favorite song to play on the keyboard. Favorite song to play. Uh, I think uh, I don't have a favorite song to play because I it depends on my mood. Uh, Sometimes it's jazz and blues, and other times it's you know the Eagles and uh, doing you know pretty maids all in a row and uh, and trying to sing it (laughs) on key (laughs) and and keep the rhythm too. I, I, you know, I'm unlike you. You, you are so dialed into Foo Fighters and everything that mm-hmm. it's your favorite band. I'm just kind of eclectic that way. I will say, I'll be honest. I am not a big opera fan. Mm. Uh, never have been, and and frankly, country music is a little bit of a stretch for me. Uh, uh, so I, I just kind of a rock and roll guy. I love it. All right, two more questions. You're going out to dinner to celebrate something big. You're going out in Helena. Where do you go and what do you order? Oh, wow. What a question. It's his. It's his. Okay, so Helena. Uh, okay, there's a challenge. Uh, we're not a big city and, you know, we're not cosmopolitan. But uh, I'll just be, you know, tell you where we go. I love Luca's mm-hmm. uh, for atmosphere. It, it's, it feels cozy, uh, uh, intimate, <clears throat> and, you know, really good food with lots of butter. Comfort food. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I don't need, and uh, and then you know when I'm when I'm feeling like a football, you know, football weekend, you know, I love going to the brew house and you know having a beer and some wings and, and enjoying the the games there. Uh, but you said big event, yeah. yeah you're celebrating. I, I was, you're yeah. celebrating something big. Celebrating something big, yeah. It would it would be Lucas. Mm-hmm. What do you get there? What do I get there? Yeah. Um, I oftentimes. Uh, well, the, you know, the, the shrimp diavolo. That's mine, too. That's yours, too? This episode it's is sponsored by Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it, again, it, you know, it's po- anything pasta. Yeah. But let me tell you this, though. My favorite, I got I to gotta put a plug in for Ersum and, and Mediterranean Grill. The oh, baked yeah. rigatoni is to die for. Oh, it yeah. really is great. Yeah. Well, we might not have a lot of restaurants in Helena, but we have quality restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. All right, last question. The history books is telling a story of Lanny Hubbard. What does it say? Well, it's it that chapter's not written yet, uh, but I Long will say this part now. of it. This mm-hmm. part of it, I I hope I made a positive difference uh, in my professional career with Montana State Fund and for the people of Montana. I hope uh, oftentimes. Our achievements are not recognized more publicly while we're in it or. Even after, sometimes long after we go, uh, but but I'm hopeful that my, my legacy legacy will be the culture that I was able to foster at our company, and I, I hope my my employees feel like they've had a great career there and they feel valued, and um, that's how I'd like to be remembered. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for Thank your you, time. Chantel. Thank you for all that you've done to lead so effectively and so humbly and so openly in Montana and for being a model for 
for leaders across the state of how you can um, how you can embrace vulnerability and encourage and face those fears to just do big things. Thank well, you. I, I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate uh, being here. Uh, an opportunity to, to share a little bit about my thinking. That I, I hope it helps someone see the world a little bit differently than they might have before they heard this podcast. Thanks to Lanny Hubbard and Chantel Schieffer for that fantastic conversation. And thanks to you for listening in. As always, if you've enjoyed the show and want to support Listen First Montana, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Those small steps can really help us connect these stories to more listeners. Our intro song is a rendition of the Montana State song by Scott Gudger, and our other music is from Blue Dot Sessions. We'll see you in two weeks with our next episode. Until then, thanks for listening to Listen First, Montana. Thank you.